0: Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 15th December 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, first ever gene editing FDA nod, USFTC ruffles farmer's feathers, AstraZeneca pays to play in RSV, Syndax leukaemia drug makes splash at ash, and BMS bets big on a Chinese antibody drug conjugate. Two sickle cell disease therapies won US FDA approval on 8 December, but Bluebird Bio's gene therapy, Lyftgenia, stumbled out of the gate with higher pricing, a black box warning, and no priority review voucher. While Vertex Pharmaceuticals, CRISPR Therapeutics, may have a relatively easier path with CasGV, the first ever CRISPR gene-edited medicine approved in the US. Andy Jackson writes, Both therapies approvals for sickle cell disease patients aged 12 and older with recurrent vaso occlusive crises or a history of vaso occlusive events were greeted with enthusiasm, but investors and industry observers were stunned by Bluebird's LyftGenia pricing strategy and other components of the product's approval. The wholesale acquisition cost was $2.2 million for Castivi and $3.1 million for LyftGenia. With the Vertex CRISPR therapies WAC price closer to the 1.35 million to 2.05 million range recommended by the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review in August, Bluebird CEO Andrew Obenschain told Scrip, "We do a data-driven approach to assess the value of our therapies and determine that that price encompasses the clinical benefits, the impact to patients, the caregivers' well-being." potential cost savings to society, benefits to society. He noted that Bluebird will publish its rigorous research early next year. In addition to its higher-than-expected pricing, Lifgenia's label also comes with a black-box warning about hematologic malignancies, while Casgevy does not have a black box. Needham analyst Gil Blum said in an 8th December note to CRISPR Therapeutics investors that Lifgenia's black-box warning and higher pricing provide CasGV with a large and potentially insurmountable competitive advantage in SCD. Blum also noted that CRISPR has an advantage over Bluebird in being partnered with a larger company on the commercialization of its product. Bluebird revealed that it did not receive the paediatric rare disease priority review voucher it expected the FDA to grant along with the Lifgenia approval. The company said at the end of October that it entered into an agreement ahead of the approval decision to sell the PRV for $103 million. Urban Shane said Bluebird will approach the agency again about granting the PRV, but pointed out that the company has other options for financing its operations, which now include three gene therapy launches. Cautious optimism had settled over the pharmaceutical industry's thinking on the regulatory outlook for deals after the US Federal Trade Commission reached an agreement with Amgen to allow its planned merger with Horizon Therapeutics to close. But now, Jessica Merrill writes, the agency has suddenly turned on the industry again with another surprising action, raising new questions for deal strategists. This time, the FTC has taken issue with a small single-asset licensing deal signed between Sanofi and May's Therapeutics for an ultra-rare disease. The agency announced on 11th December plans to block the licensing deal on the grounds that it would eliminate a nascent competitor, poised to challenge Sanofi's monopoly in the Pompe disease market. Under the $750 million agreement signed in May, Sanofi gained development and commercialization rights to Maze's glycogen synthase 1 programme, including MZE001, a phase 2 ready asset with the potential to be the first oral treatment for the rare disorder. The deal seemed like a natural fit for Sanofi, which currently dominates the treatment market for Pompe disease with a long heritage selling infused enzyme replacement therapies. But from the FTC's perspective, it looked like an opportunity for Sanofi to prolong the life of its blockbuster sized business by slowing down the development of a rival. The FTC's move, which led Sanofi to terminate the agreement with Mays, presents yet another case for drug manufacturers to contemplate when pursuing deals. The action is unique in the biopharma space in that it targets a smaller licensing agreement rather than an outright acquisition. And it also goes after a drug for an ultra-rare disease, a space that has historically been granted more leeway when it comes to regulation. This resets the equation a little bit because now we are talking about co-development and partnership deals and licensing deals, ZS Associates, Principal Cody Power said. The idea that you can be a co-development partner and still be subject to antitrust is not something that most of these companies really ever anticipated. Their argument before would have been transaction structure is a partial hedge. But Power said the FTC's action shouldn't come as a big surprise to industry players in that it echoes some recent crackdowns on deal-making in other sectors like tech, where the agency has attempted to block some smaller-sized deals in terms of value. EY America's industry markets leader, health sciences and wellness, Ada Ural, said the outlook for pharma sector deal-making remains encouraging, With the Amgen-Horizon deal having closed, Pfizer's $43 billion acquisition of Seagen cleared to close in a couple of days and several recent deal announcements. We are still cautiously optimistic in regards to the macro overhangs receding, and this does not change the tone, he told Scrip. It does, however, add more complexity to the environment that pharma needs to do business. This regulatory uncertainty further muddies the water and only increases the unpredictable nature of target selection and deal execution. Hats off to Icozavax. $838 million isn't a bad payday for a company with a single clinical stage candidate. The vaccine maker has been snapped up by AstraZeneca, and the sizeable upfront payment shows how eager the US giant is to enter the respiratory syncytial virus space where GSK and Pfizer proceeded. AstraZeneca has structured the up to $1.1 billion deal with the lion's share of the money up front, Elizabeth Cairns writes. Icosavax's lead vaccine, IVX A12, uses protein virus-like particle technology and is bivalent, aiming to guard against both RSV and human metanumavirus, both of which can cause severe illness in older adults. The idea is innovative. There are currently no treatments or vaccines for HMPV and no combination vaccines for RSV. IVXA12 is in a Phase 2A study, top-line data from which were released to coincide with the deal announcement. The jab was given as a single dose with and without CSL Sikiris' proprietary adjuvant MF59 to 264 healthy adults aged 60 to 85. Should the JAB succeed in its planned Phase 3 trial and get to market, it would join the two RSV vaccines already there, GSK's Arexvy and Pfizer's Abrizvo. Moderna's RSV candidate mRNA-1345 could also gain approval next year. AstraZeneca itself has some involvement in the space already. Under a partnership with Sanofi, it sells Beyfortus, an antibody that protects infants from the disease. HMPV infects around 3-7% of adults in the winter, a slightly lower infection rate than the 5.5% for RSV. AstraZeneca said that RSV causes an estimated 60,000 to 160,000 hospitalizations among US adults aged 65 and older each year. It is not just IVX A12 that has hooked AstraZeneca. The company clearly believes in the potential of Icozovax's VLP platform, saying it can mimic how naturally occurring viruses appear to the body's immune system, thereby offering a stronger immune response and greater durability against the virus. Syndax Pharmaceuticals is starting out with a rare subset of acute leukemia patients when it submits RevuMenib for US FDA review at the end of the year, but it's also aiming for a larger subset that could potentially yield a blockbuster opportunity, one in which others hope to compete as well. Larry Jarman writes the company presented results from the pivotal Phase 2 Augment 101 trial, in a late-breaking abstract at the American Society of Haematology annual meeting in San Diego on 12 December for the drug, which is a menin inhibitor, in adult and paediatric acute myeloid leukemia and acute lymphoid leukemia patients with KMT2A rearrangements. SyNAx anticipates completing its submission to the FDA under the agency's real-time oncology review program for KMT2AR acute leukemias by the end of the year, while also enrolling patients in a separate Phase two cohort in patients with mutant MPM1 AML. Revumenib's approval could make it the first drug in its class and the first targeted therapy for KMT2AR acute leukemias, a disease that currently has few treatment options. For relapsed refractory disease, there is no targeted therapy for KMT2A, rearranged acute leukaemia. City of Hope haematologist, oncologist and Augment 101 presenter Ibrahim Aldos told Scrip. It has been chemotherapy, but unfortunately it's usually unsuccessful and ineffective. For patients with similar characteristics to those in Augment 101, after receiving two or more salvage therapies, he added, the composite complete response rate has historically been less than 10%, and median overall survival less than three months. Among 57 efficacy-valuable patients in the pooled KMT2AR acute leukemia patients, Augment 101 had a median OS of eight months and overall response rate was 63%. This is much better than what we have seen with chemotherapy, Aldos said. As it stands, the KMT2AR acute leukemia indication that Syndax is initially pursuing is a small one, with Aldos saying it accounts for around 10% of all acute leukemias. But MNPM1, he added, represents about 30% of AML. Synnex told Scrib that it has estimated relapsed refractory KMT2AR acute leukemias and MNPM1 AML together represent a market opportunity of about $2 billion, and more if the company can expand Revumenib into frontline disease. Finally, Bristol-Myers Scrib has gained access to the Biospecific Antibody Drug conjugate or ADC-BLB-01-D1, from Shanghai listed Sichuan Biokin Pharmaceutical, in a huge deal worth up to $8.4 billion, including $800 million upfront, that the US major intends to ride to bolster its oncology pipeline across multiple possible indications. The size of the alliance also adds further weight to the attractiveness of novel RD in the ADC area coming out of Chinese firms following other recent deals in the area, Dexter Yan writes. If commercialised, the potentially first-in-class EGFR times HER3 ADC could eventually be pitted against the ranks of HER3 targeting ADCs such as Daiichi Sankyo's Patritumab Tekan, which is the most advanced in the clinic and which was licensed to Merkenco in October, along with two other ADCs from the Japanese firm. Notably, the BLB-01-D1 collaboration marks the biggest out-licensing deal for a single asset for any Chinese drug maker, both in terms of size of upfront amount and total other potential payments. While Biokin's Systimmune will retain exclusive rights to the asset in mainland China, BMS gains an exclusive license in the rest of the world, and the two firms will jointly develop and commercialise it in the US. They will also share certain global development expenses and profits and losses in the U.S. During the European Society for Medical Oncology Congress held in October, BioKin Systimmune reported that, as of data cut off, on 17th August, an ongoing China-only Phase I study with BLB-01-D1 demonstrated a 52.5% confirmed overall response rate in 40 heavily pretreated non-small cell lung cancer patients with epidermal growth factor receptor mutations. All patients had failed prior treatment with EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitors, including third-generation drugs in this class. The median duration of response and progression-free survival were 8.5 months and 5.6 months, respectively. On the safety side, one case of interstitial lung disease was observed in the Phase one trial with BLB-01-D1 which showed a favourable safety profile with potential for lower ILD, BMS said in a fact sheet on the licensing deal. The incidence rates of cytopenias were higher, but still manageable and tolerable, it added. BioKin Cystimmune announced in October the first patient had been dosed in a first phase one study of BLB01D1 in US patients with metastatic or unresectable NSCLC. That's all for this week. All the stories mentioned here are linked in the description below and form just a small part of Scripps' global coverage last week. I'd also like to say thank you to all those of you who've listened regularly throughout this year and welcome to those who've joined us along the way. Five Must Know Things will be taking a break for the next few weeks over Christmas and the New Year so best wishes for the holiday season from myself, Scrip, and Sightline and I look forward to joining you again in 2024. Bye for now.